Thank you all for joining us this morning. We're now live streaming on multiple platforms. Thanks to some very talented folks here at White Oak up there. Thank you all. We're on YouTube, Roku, and Facebook, and we have our own phone app now. We're starting to become some high-tech rednecks in here. Anyways, it's Palm Sunday, and that's very important for today because when Jesus made his entrance into Jerusalem just a few days before he was crucified, he was given a royal welcome fit for kings by people praising him and waving palm branches at him. Well, even though many of us can't be inside a physical church this morning, we can still welcome him to our homes or wherever we're at right now because he's still the king of kings. And let's just worship him this morning. We thank y'all. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. All the earth will shout your praise. My hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you Lord and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great are you Lord and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry, these bones will sing, great die you, Lord. And all the earth will shout your praise, our hearts will cry, and these bones will sing, great It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out In our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. Great are you, Lord. Great are you, Great are you, Lord. Good morning once again. You know, I heard this past week that there's a number of times prayer and Bible verses have been Google lately are rising at a big rate. You know, that's become 
that's because in times like this, we finally realize that, you know, we're not in control. Yeah, we can make plans to go places or financial plans for the future or whatnot. But as many American people are starting to see now, sometimes those plans don't work out or can be easily changed. You know, also people turn to God as a peace giver in these times because not only are we not in control right now, but in these times also bring into view, you know, man's greatest enemy and mystery, which is death. And I've chosen not to watch mainstream news, you know, for a lot of reasons. But when people get fed all day graphs and predictions after prediction on how many deaths we could see from this virus, of course it's going to get people scared and thinking. Although some of those predictions are a large number, those percentages they're showing is still a very, very small portion of the population. So it's very likely we won't die from this virus, but we still have to face the fact that one day we will. Something else is going to get us. And that's why we need to be ready at any time. You know, it isn't, and it isn't all this happening line up with the season we're entering next, the Easter season. Maybe this is Jesus reminding us to remember what Easter is all about, that he died and rose again to overcome the grave, and we can do the same if we just believe and trust in him. So there's nothing to worry about. If he, if he can overcome death, so can we. Romans 6, 9 reminds us that. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has master free over him. We just thank y'all again for watching this this morning. God bless. Amen. Good morning. And like Travis said, we thank you for joining us this morning. We thank you for worshiping with us, praying with us via our stream. Before we start this morning, I'd love to go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come into your house. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you in the comforts of our home, Lord. We thank you that you are a God, a God that responds to your people's needs, that you hear our prayers, and it is proven in our life and throughout our life, God. And like Paul was speaking about last week, that we can place confidence in you, in your faithfulness, because we can see you, we can feel you, and we can see you accomplishing your good works through us when we are obedient. We ask that you bless each and every one of us this morning and the people watching God that your words will go out and strengthen our walks in your life, in our own life, so that your will will be displayed through us. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. So once again, we thank you for joining us this morning. You know, we ask that you continue to pray, you know, for our countries, for our leaders, the first responders, the nurses and the doctors that are, that are around this each and every day, and also the ones affected by this. And you know, Paul... Last week, we were looking at, looking at how Paul wrote about a boldness that we have, that confidence that we find through Christ's faithfulness. Paul says that it allows us to go before the Father. We can go before the Father as lowercase k in kings, before the Father that is a capital K in kings. So Paul says it's this access. You know, the confidence in Christ gives us that boldness. So that we can go before the Father, we can have a relationship, and that we are one. And, and Paul, Paul was telling us last week that this leads to a, this, this is going to lead to a substantial life with inside us. You know, he uses, and he's going to continue on with that this morning. He's not just going to leave it there, but what he's saying is this boldness and stuff. It's, it's not just designed just for relationship. And we're going to look at words that Jesus said too this morning of how this, when we have that intimate relationship, when we have that opportunity, it just doesn't stay right there. 
it's not just an opportunity to ex experience Christ and it, and it just stays in our life and we just leave it alone. And what, what Paul is writing about this morning is, is when we possess that confidence, when we possess that boldness, and then we move upon that. When we start, when we start seeing growth, and Jesus is going to reference this also. We're going to look at Jesus' words too, in which whom Paul is writing about to the church of Ephesus. So Paul is really writing, telling them to take this boldness, take this confidence, and let it affect your life. You know, and, and this morning when Paul's writing about this and this new citizenship, Travis just referenced it, you know. I think we use this confidence, we use this boldness probably more each and every day, more than we even realize it. You know, each and every day, we take our relationship with Christ, we pray, we read our Bible, we worship Him, we thank Him. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, this morning, we hear so much negative things on the news, and I'm not talking about being informed, and I'm not talking about being, in, being prepared, and I'm not talking about taking precautions, I'm not talking about that, but what I'm saying is sometimes words given to us to help us make may come across as negative due to fear and, and due to anxiety. You know, this morning I want to take an opportunity to what we learned about last week just to address how much we really use it before we move any further because what Paul's telling us is this boldness and this confidence that we are given through a relationship as a father. You know, we, we leave the door every day. We rush out of the house. We have a schedule made up, a list a mile long. We have not just this week, but next week, and sometimes even next month planned. You know, we leave in a hurry. We go all day, each and every day. And we come home at night. And probably before that morning when we leave, when we're walking out the door, we thank God. You know, we walk out into a world where we have no idea what is going to happen. That's the next second. And we just let God lead us. We carry that confidence, we carry that boldness, and we just walk out into a world. You know, we begin to use in each and every one of our lives what Paul is writing about here. Until we, where we walk with confidence, with that understanding that we have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And you know, as Travis was talking about this morning, we, we can hear, we hear so many things. And when something like this is heard, and we realize it, you know, I think it is just a good opportunity to realize what Paul is telling us right here. A good opportunity to realize or what, what, what we are offered as Christians. You know, it's, it's more than just saying it with our mouth. And Jesus and Paul are both going to reference this this morning. It's just, it's, it's more about just saying it with our mouth. It's more than just, you know, pretending to be something. What Jesus is saying and what Paul is saying is, Paul is going to say it's going to be a transformation. Jesus says these are fundamental truths. And Paul is going to say when his word begins working inside of you, Peter says the same thing. But when we begin to let his word, when we begin to let his spirit, when we begin to let these things not only be revealed to us, but come to life inside of us, and there is a change. You know, and, and this morning, you know, we could see through our walks of how important a relationship truly is and how we don't take it for granted and how in just a moment's notice, all of a sudden, we can see how truly important that relationship is. And Paul this week, 
He's not stopping with the confidence in our new citizenship. He is praying for an overflowing from the perfect father. So Paul's not just going to leave it there. He's not going to say, well, congratulations, you believe in Christ. Guess what? You've, you've been offered a new citizenship, and you're going you're gonna to experience a relationship in which you can go st- straight to the Father. You know, and, and, and Paul, what Paul was going to do, he's going to expound upon that subject this morning, and he's going to tell us the purpose of it. Ephesians 3, 16 and 17 says, he writes, And I pray that he would, would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory in favor until supernatural strength floods from your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. So, he's speaking of supernatural strength that's flooding from your innermost being. He's speaking of riches, glory, and favor. But when he hits verse 17, the second part, he's going he's, he's to reference the word that he referenced was Jesus. He's going to re- reference faith this morning. And last week he told us about the faithfulness of Christ. So through Christ's faithfulness, what Paul is saying is we should recognize something. We should understand something. We should learn something because since Christ came, died, resurrected, and descended, this, this obviously gives us an opportunity. This obviously gives us some sort of power. And not only a power that's being released deep inside of us, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to give us a responsibility also. And see, that responsibility is what Paul's referencing and Jesus. Paul's telling us this morning that we have been given something and it's being released inside of us. And Jesus is going to reference this morning, what is it for? Now, Paul, he will go too, but I think it's important also is to look at whom Paul is writing about. Paul is writing about Jesus, obviously, that is came and has conquered. And all these things have come from, straight from the Heavenly Father. And he's saying that, I hope, I want this to be unveiled to you, the glory and the riches. You know, so there's going to be a flooding, unveiling of riches and glory. And Paul's saying that this is going to result in strength. More than just strength, supernatural strength from inside. It's divine and explosive. And what Paul, and, and he's writing from this perspective to let us know that this is nothing that we can achieve ourselves. This has to come from somewhere else. So he says, by using our faith, the life of Christ will be released, embedded within us. So he's using the life of Christ. So this is going to begin to tell us that it's nothing, once again, that, that we can accomplish. But after that, he says, will be. So not only is he telling us this, he's also telling us that there's something promised. Shall be, will be. And what he's saying is, so that we have this promise that something will be released. But also, there's got to be an action if there's a promise. Because he's already referenced our faith in Christ. So there's something that, that we are going to need to either submit to and let Christ do with inside of us. And then there's going to be a walk that is required so that all these things not only will just happen, but will continue to happen and will continue to grow. You know, and so what Paul is really speaking of this morning, when he, when he, when he carries on from his confidence and his boldness, you know, is, is a reality of fullness. You know, and what Paul is wanting us to understand is he wants to try to put a definition on the fullness of life, what it truly means to have a life that is rich, 
He uses riches and glory to begin to start describing this before he even gets to the fullness. You know, and he's saying there's something that, that's something inside of us that, that we need to experience. We're, we're, we're going to have a promise. And what Paul is speaking is, yeah, I, you, you understand that you have confidence in Christ so that we have something that's eternal. But Paul is saying, well, you know, what about right now? And Jesus is going to reference this also. Because, yeah, we know we're going somewhere else. We have faith in Christ. But what they're saying is to, to experience the fullness of life here and now. What are we supposed to do with what we've been given? If we're supposed to have this abundance of supernatural strength, if it's supposed to be unveiled and it's supposed to be released from deep inside of us, it's got to be for a purpose, not just for us. And Paul's going to reference this morning when we begin to experience the fullness of life, what it truly means. And what Jesus is going to tell us this morning is when we begin to let his words come to life inside of us. When we begin to let them work, and it's going to be an outward expression of that. You know, and I think this morning with the fullness of life, I think it doesn't matter the age. We can, we can relate to what, to what a fullness is. Um... With everything that's going on, my wife had, had the opportunity one day to keep our niece. And she spent the day with her at the farm. And, and when she got dropped off, she walked in the house. And my wife asked her, she said, well, um, well Goosey, what do, you, what do you normally eat for breakfast? And she says, candy. And Lizzie said, now, gee, I know that you, uh, I know that you always don't eat candy for breakfast every morning she said "Mm -hmm, candy every morning and ice cream with that and I told her I said when Lizzie told me that that night I said well that's crazy I said because she was eating pizza for lunch and I looked at her and I said well well GD you like pizza and she said yeah I love pizza I eat pizza all the time and I said you eat pizza all the time she said yep Sunday Monday Tuesday Wednesday I eat pizza all the time you know so candy and ice cream for breakfast pizza for lunch you know, but when we begin to look at a fullness, you know, we begin to associate it with things. We begin to associate it with senses. You know, if, if we don't understand what Paul is writing about, and that's why Paul, today, he begins to use some really big and, and some words to, to try to describe it to where we can understand it. Because if we're just looking at this from, from the worldly perspective, now you can just look at that, and, and you know, I know that, I know that, that's a humorous story, obviously, this morning. You know, but, but, but what Paul's writing about this morning is, see, as, from a human perspective, it just doesn't stop when we're two and three years old. You know, we can say, oh, well, you know, it's funny, and I know I didn't go to my, my sister-in-law and be like, I know you don't give your kid that to eat every morning for breakfast. Oh, my gosh. So we know that this is not serious. You know, but, see, there is a desire. And when, when Paul begins to write that something is going to be released or unveiled deep inside of us, we understand that there needs to be a change. Humanly, things are being replaced. There's going to there's gonna be a transformation that occurs. Because the problem is, is this, this is not a, a just a two- or a three-year-old thing where we try to experience the fullness of life if we don't understand it. You know, when I was in middle school and high school, I used to have this poster that hung on my wall. And it said a higher level of education. And it was, uh, it, was, it was a Ferrari that was sitting in front of this massive mansion on a cobblestone driveway. I think I got it from like a, a book fair or something, you know. 
And, uh, you know, and, and, and the difference is, is that when we move, when we get older in age, the candy and the ice cream just get more expensive. You know, the thing with that is, this was probably like a, a late 80s or early 90s model of Ferrari. Well, if you've been watching Barrett Jackson and Meekum and stuff, when one of these rolls across the auction block, they're starting to bring pretty good money this morning. And why? Because the people that are in their 40s, they remember this car. You know, late 80s, early 90s, there was a white one that come on TV every week. You know, Sonny Crockett, Don Johnson. Miami Vice. He drove an 86 Testarossa. You know, he was supposed to be the personification of cool in Miami Vice. You know, and these people that's in their 40s now, they begin to give reference to that. And when these things go across the auction block, some of these people are, are, are able to afford them things now. So they want a nice one with low miles that is in good condition and they're starting to buy them so the price is starting to go up. And you can say, oh, well, you know, that's just, that's just people in their 40s. Well, you know, if, if Don Johnson later on had a show in the early 2000s, and it was called Nash Bridges, and you know what he drove in that show? He drove a, a convertible Hemi Barracuda. So now you're, now you're appealing to the 60- and 70-year-old range. You know, and what we see, whether we watch it through TV, you know, or whether we're two or three years old, and we know that candy is sweet and it's a lot better than oatmeal every morning to eat for our breakfast, you know... There's, if, if we try to experience life through, through ways that we think that we can afford, we're always going to be let down. And that's why Paul this morning is obviously speaking about a different type of fullness. And, you know, he speak, he's, obviously his can only be achieved through a relationship with Jesus Christ is what he's telling us. You know, and with that, there comes an eternal promise. You know, something that is not material and something that will not perish. And I want to go to Peter, 1 Peter this morning, because Peter has an awesome way of when we begin to compare things that are shiny, things that look really good, things that are material to the spiritual. And Peter says in 1 Peter 1.7 this morning, But these only reveal the sterling core of your faith which is far more valuable than gold that perishes. For even gold is refined by fire. Your authentic faith will result in even, will result in even more praise, glory, and honor when Jesus, the anointed one, is revealed. So when Peter references things that are material, he's going to reference probably the most precious metal there, there, there is and there was at the time. And, and Peter says, you know, sometimes there needs to be a refinement. Sometimes there needs to be a process. And obviously there is because, you know, when we start life out and we begin to associate something that is good with something that is sweet and that our senses appeal to. And we may laugh at it because we think that this is a childlike perspective. But what Paul is warning us about is if we truly want to experience the fullness of life, if we continue to associate the fullness of life with these things, we're going to be disappointed. We're not going to understand what fullness is all about. We'll never experience that for ourselves. And more so, what Peter is saying is, I'm going to take the most precious thing that these people know, the thing that's worth the most money, the thing that even today some people put a lot of stock in. And Peter says, you know, the most precious metal there is, it's not going to last. 
But you know, if you want to associate this precious metal with something that you can relate to, it even has to be refined so that it can be worth a lot of money. So Peter's saying if in the supernatural things, if you're going to be offered something that is eternal, if you're going to be offered something that's, that's not even comparable to this, don't you think that there is going to be a process to which your faith can not only grow, but you can, your faith will result in even more praise, even more glory and honor. And so now he's going to reference glorification and honor to Jesus Christ. And that is the end, the end goal, obviously, here. And that's what Paul and Jesus are going to reference here a little bit later on this morning. And what Peter is saying is through that process, with our confidence in Christ and our faithfulness, we will achieve an authentic, we will achieve an authentic faith, is what he's saying. Your faith will be authentic. Your authentic faith will result in even more praise. And what Peter is also referencing here this morning is something that's being established. Not just if you have money, you can go buy gold. And you can take security into it. Peter's saying this is authentic. There is, there, there is only one kind of faith. This cannot be copied. This can be falsified. Because Jesus tells us to, to, to be on guard against the people. And actually Peter says the same thing. And we've looked at that in our series in Confidence. But he's, but he's saying this is authentic because the end result, there is, this is the only one that can guarantee that. And with our confidence in, that, in Christ's faithfulness, you know, we're going to achieve that authentic faith. You know, so it's one of a kind. You know, when we begin to talk about things that are eternal, you know, we know that the worldly things are not going to be in the same concept. We know that there's a distinction. We know that there's a difference. You know, as Jesus says, things of the world, these things of the world. Well, and when we begin talking about possessions or positions or positions that grant us possessions, let's say, these things that, you know, the things that we can touch. Because what we do is we put and we read so much verses, whether it be Peter or Paul or Jesus, about letting these things begin working inside of us. What's offered? what's received, what's the end result, and what's the here and now. Something that is accomplished. Well, you know, and when, and, and, and the deal is when we start dealing with faith, you know, many times it's something that we cannot see right now. And so Peter, he, he's talking about a, rep, a refinement process where something authentic will be achieved. And Paul is writing about a confidence and a boldness to a relationship with the Father or God that th through, through faithfulness of a guy who came and died for each one of our sins. But Paul is saying, wait, this is not just a normal guy. And Peter is saying, look, this is just not a normal kind of faith. You know, this, this can only come, this can only be offered from one place. From an almighty God himself, and there's one and only, and that's why this is authentic. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to put into, I don't want to just say a scenario because it's more than that, but they're wanting to try to wrap your mind, our minds around this morning through their writing, what's really being achieved, not only through our acceptance of Christ, but when we just don't let it sit there on the shelf. When we begin to take our acceptance of Christ and let his words 
come alive inside of our life when we begin to let that process of refinement, when we begin to walk with Christ and we begin to see his words come alive in our life. And that's what they're trying to describe here this morning. You know, and if we begin to to talk about a fullness of life, worldly, the positions and the possessions, that's what we are going to strive for. You know, and... We understand the process that is required for those. Whether it be school, whether it be hard work, whether it be determination. Well, in what Peter and Paul and Jesus are, are, what Paul is writing about, what Peter is writing about, and what Luke is recording this morning when we go there about what Jesus says, Jesus is telling us the process that's required for all these things too. So that these things can be achieved. You know, before we start talking about a fullness or before we bridge these two together, I think it's better if you just split them right down the middle and we begin to look at how we truly define life. Because the way Jesus is going to define it, the way Paul is going to define it, and the way we define it through our human eyes before we met Christ, before we started that refinement process, is defined completely different. And Jesus this morning, I want to look at his words too. Of how Christ defines life. And I want us to go to Luke the 19th chapter this morning. And in Luke the 19th chapter, if you're in your candy and ice cream stage in your life, you would know the person that is in this story by a wee little man, and a wee little man was he who climbed up in a certain tree. But you know, I probably read this story five or six times this week. And I read through it, and I read through it, and I read through it for the one purpose. Because in this story, there's a reason why when we're three, four, five years old, we sing this song. It's not just because there was a man who was small in stature, who at one point of his life was not a very good person. He was not liked by a lot of people. It's not just about a man running ahead of a massive crowd and climbing up in a cheap tree because he wanted to see you know, this man called Jesus walked by. No, when we begin to read this story, what Luke wants us to understand and what Luke does perfectly within this story is put Jesus' words into context and he puts them exactly where they need to fall. You know, and as I began to read this story and as I began to read, you know, Ephesians, the third chapter, 16, 17, and 18, you know, Jesus is, is going to describe life pretty good, but more importantly, he's going to tell us exactly when life starts in this. And Luke, he's going to do, he, he's going to lay it out before we even get there, before Zacchaeus and Jesus ever have this conversation. Luke's going to tell us, hey man, you want, might want to pay attention here, because you know what, life's, life's about to happen. Life is about to begin right now. So if we start off at the beginning of this story, Luke, the 19th chapter, Luke writes that there are massive crowds around Jesus. You know, Jesus is popular now. Some people are showing up just because they want to see what he'll do. Some, some people are showing up because they need him. Some people just want to see what he'll do next or hear the words that he speaks. You know, he's popular. And the crowds are surrounding Jesus, and he tells us there's a certain man who was head of all the tax collectors. So you could say he, was, uh, he had a position. And also, he had a position that granted him many possessions because he was, he was successful. 
if we go to Matthew, we know when, um, when Jesus calls Matthew and he leaves, we, we can get a pretty good idea of how people feel about tax collectors, not just this man, because it says Matthew is described as a treacherous Jew who was helping the Romans because he was, he was a traitor to his people, he thought. You know, so this is not a new concept for Jesus to, to meet a tax collector or, or, or someone in a position of power, you could say. So Zacchaeus had a position, and that position granted him many possessions. But he was in need of one thing if we read this story. He couldn't reach Jesus, regardless of his, at, at, at a certain time, you know, he had to make the proper he had to position himself correctly to get to where he could see Jesus. He couldn't push through the crowd because, because of, the, of his stature and his build. So what does he do? He just doesn't leave it there and just mingle right in the crowd. Luke says he runs ahead of the crowd. He races ahead of the crowd, and he finds a fig tree, and he climbs up in it. Well, the cool thing about this and how Luke writes this this morning is he just doesn't see. Well, he, it, he, he sees a tree, and he climbs up in it. No. Luke's going to describe that to be a fig tree, and he's going to describe it to be blossoming. But see, what, what Luke is trying to tell us is this morning, not only he, it'll tell us exactly what time of year, it'll give, us the, it'll, it'll give us the time of year when all this happens, but what else Luke is trying to tell us this morning is, is that if you pay attention, in just a few verses, life is coming. You know, if, if, if we pay attention and we read on, Zacchaeus' life, it's probably about to bloom. So there's life coming into this household. But Luke doesn't give us a spoiler alert right then because what Luke is trying to tell us is, is there's some necessary things that need to happen that Paul and Jesus want us to understand to what's going to lead to that life really begin to happen inside of our life. So we know that Zacchaeus climbs up in the blossoming tree and it says that Jesus walks by and when he gets to the tree, Jesus stops. And looks at him. And he tells him why. Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. No, actually Jesus tells Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I am appointed to go into your home today. There's already been preparation made. He says, so come down. So we know that Zacchaeus, Luke records that Zacchaeus comes down and he meets Jesus face to face. And they go into his home. Well, you know, so they're eating dinner together and a lot of people get mad, right? Of all the people in the world, for Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, to eat, to eat dinner with, you know, it's this guy right here. Well, Jesus wants us to understand one thing. In our life, it doesn't matter about the possessions or our positions. Now, I know there are many verses in the Bible where Jesus warns us about money and the love of money. But whether it be Paul, whether it be Peter, or whether it be Jesus himself, there's an understanding that we really don't have what we need in our life until a certain thing is achieved. And Jesus is showing us that right here. Yes, a position is great. Yes, possessions are great. But we can see through this story right here that that does not bring us a fullness of life. Because not one time in this story was Zacchaeus joyful. In fact, when this story begun, Zacchaeus was looking for something and he couldn't achieve it because the crowd was in the way. So there was a reason why Zacchaeus had to run ahead of this massive crowd. But there's a moment in this story when it changes to joyful. If we go to verse 8, Luke writes, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus 
joyously welcomed Jesus and was amazed over his gracious visit to his home. Zacchaeus stood in front of the Lord and said, Half of all that I own, I will give to the poor. And Lord, if I cheated anyone, I promised to pay back four times as much as I stole. So throughout, throughout this whole process, Luke begins telling us that if we understand the times, that Zacchaeus was an important man. He was head of everyone. He had a position of power and, and he, was, he was probably pretty wealthy. But there's a specific time in this story where Luke mentions the importance of the word joyful. And so many times when we begin to put fullness, we want a fullness of joy, as the, word, as the Bible says. We associate joyful with fullness. And there's only one time in this story when Luke specifically references that. And it's, it's, it's right now. When Zacchaeus was joyful over the acceptance that Christ would come into his home. Joyously welcomed Jesus and was amazed over his gracious visit to his home. I cannot believe that he would come to my house. And what Jesus is telling him here, it doesn't matter about your possessions or your position. You know, in the world. As long as we position ourselves to meet Jesus face to face when he met. And as long as we offer him that invitation. Now granted, I know that last part sounds just about like the song. That's the thing that we're told when we're three, four, five years old. You have to let Jesus into our heart. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter if you're three, four, five years old because if we read the next two verses, Jesus is going to reference just that. And Jesus is going to tell us, you know what? You know why it is important to have a childlike faith? You know why it is important to learn these songs, to teach your kids these songs? Because when you're going to be almost 40 years old, I'm going to make you read this five times and you're going to really understand what I've been trying to tell you the whole time. Because it's not just about we run ahead and we try to meet Jesus. It's not just about we climb a tree and Jesus calls us down and say, I have an appointment to come to your house. Jesus is offering each and every one of us life. It, you know, stands at the door and knocks, but it's up to us to open it. What Jesus is saying is this morning when we go to verse 9 and 10, it says, Jesus said to him, after Zacchaeus, now keep in mind, they had been eating dinner together, and Luke doesn't record all of the conversation probably that was going on, just the people that, that were hating because Jesus went to his house and not theirs. But there's an importance that happens right here. After Zacchaeus tells Jesus, I cannot believe that you, could come, that you came into my house. You know, I am excited. I have joy. I, you know, I'm starting to experience fullness. And then he says... I'm going to take half of what I got and give it to the poor. I'm going to, I'm going to repay four times the amount if I've cheated everyone. That's when Jesus speaks right then. So if we go to verse 9 and 10, it says, Jesus said unto him, This shows that today life has come to you and to your household. For you are a true son of Abraham. The son of man has come to seek out and to give life to those who are lost. You know, what Luke is telling us this morning, through the story of Zacchaeus, what really happens is, Jesus could, have, Jesus could have told Zacchaeus when he met him face to face, and he told him, he said, Zacchaeus, thank you for making the opportunity, you know, for, for trying to get to me so hard. You know, I appreciate that, you're saying. No, but there's a lot of time that goes by, they share a dinner together and all sorts of things. But you know what, Jesus in this scenario right here, he gives Zacchaeus 
an opportunity to speak. And the reason he does that is, is, is what Paul is referencing this morning is there has to be an inward change. And when Peter starts to ish, talk about that refinement process, they're talking about on the inside. And what Jesus is going to tell you is the condition of the heart. So what Jesus is really doing here when he lets Zacchaeus speak first is he's really seeing if, there has, if there's really been a change in his life or not. Because when we say, oh, we've got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we have to proclaim with our mouth. There's a believing of a heart that has to go on. But Jesus says that it's not so much a condition of the mind. It's a condition of the heart. You know, because when the heart, when we begin to experience the issues of life, and we, when our heart begins to change in, in, in what Paul was speaking about, the love of Christ this morning, when we begin to feel that, it's going to affect the way we walk. It's going to affect our whole life. And so Jesus lets Zacchaeus speak this morning. And he tells him, after he has seen that his heart has changed, now life has come. You know, and it, it argues the point, well, after all of this, why has life now come? Because it's not just about making the preparations. Yes, you know what? Each the, there, there's a moment in each and every one of our lives. Where we know that we need to change, we know that we need Christ. But what Jesus is telling us this morning, when we realize that, when we take all the necessary steps, whether it's run around a massive crowd, crawl up in a tree because we know we really need to see Jesus. What Jesus is saying is, is after that moment, there's something that is supposed to happen. What Paul is saying is, we've been given all these things, this boldness, this confidence for walking Christ. And we're not just supposed to keep it to ourselves. Jesus, Jesus says these are fundamental truths. And we're going to look at that in one minute. Let's, but if we, if we look at Ephesians 3.17 again, and we read it against this story, it says, Then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and the root of your life. So what Jesus is saying is, it's not just about speaking. It's about living it. And when Zacchaeus was joyful, he just didn't say, you know, I worship you, God, because you have come in my home. I believe in you, Christ, because you have accepted me. He says, no. He goes a step farther under the understanding of who Christ was. There's principles that are put into place. And when Jesus says, when we begin to put these principles into place, that's when we begin to live. Because... We're going to go to Luke, the sixth chapter this morning. And Jesus, before we get to verse 46, he gives us a bunch of lists about the poor and the things that are required and what needs to be done before we get down to the very, to the very bottom. And what Jesus tells us this morning, Paul is telling us to be rooted. We're supposed to have a firm foundation. Well, we know that Jesus speaks about two foundations this morning. And why they are necessary. But in verse 646, Jesus explains what Paul's writing about this morning and says, What good does it do for you to say, I am the Lord and I am the Master, if what I teach you is not put into practice? And then what Jesus goes on to say is, 
he's going to tell us the same thing that Paul is telling us about being rooted. He's going to tell us the importance of having a firm foundation. And Jesus says, if you want a firm foundation, if you want to experience fullness, if you want to, if you want to just start living, these things are going to be needed in order for that to happen. They're going to have to be put into a practice. Now, also in Luke's story, Jesus is going to reference Abraham. You are a true son of Abraham. So he's going, Jesus is going to go all the way back to the founding father. Now, I know from weeks to weeks, we've looked at Jesus speaking with the Jewish leaders about, oh, I know who my true father is. You know, I'm a descendant of Abraham. You know, and that's a, that's a, popular, that's a popular subject. And next week, when we begin to take life and put it with the fullness thereof, you know, Jesus right there, he's referencing that there's a transition because right before that verse, he gives us, he's going to speak about bearing fruit and what is required. You know, when we begin to let them words come, his instructions, as he said, when we begin to build that firm foundation that is, that is needed for our life, you know, we're, we'll follow his words and we'll put them into practice. And fullness is, is beginning to be achieved when his words start working inside of our lives because there's going to be an outward expression is what Paul is telling us. This boldness and this confidence is just not for us. It's to share with other people. That relationship. We, you know, if we, if, if we cherish that relationship, if it's special to us, if we know that we need it, Christ, then we know that others will want to enjoy this also. So G, what Jesus is saying is, it's not going to do you any good to learn all of my principles. It's not going to do you any good to memorize the words. He's pretty much saying again what he kept telling the Jewish leaders of the time. He's reiterating the point. That was his point then. You know, if, if you never put these principles to work inside of your life, then you're, number one, you're not fully understanding the point. And number two, you're never going to experience that fullness, that which I'm writing about. So next week... Um, we're, when we begin to put the fullness with the life and we begin to experience, you know, you know, that it's not just from a position or from possessions because Zacchaeus was a man who had the position that gave him many possessions. You know, he, 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 he had a good job whether he be a bad person in the very, very beginning or not. He still knew that there was something needed inside his life. That's what made him climb that tree. And with all of his possessions around him and the position he had, you know, that moment that where, where Jesus welcomed him. See, to many, when we, Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus into to his home, yes, I know. But the, way, but the way Zacchaeus saw it was, is that Jesus welcomed him. You know, it was an opportunity. Jesus says that there, there, there's already been an appointment made for me to come into your home. And, you know, that acceptance gave him joy, it says. And, and, and see, when we begin to let these things work inside our life, whether it be Jesus, Paul, or Peter, you know, that refinement process, you know, that guidance that's needed, or the words from Christ, we begin to realize and we begin to experience the definition of fullness. You know, and next week, you know, Paul is very good at explaining father Abraham 
And if we go to the book of Romans, chapters 3 through 4, Paul, was going to re- Paul will reference that also. You know, who just Abraham is. But what also Paul is telling us is, if we understand it, you know, that his belief in God grants each and every one of us that citizenship. His belief in God, Jew or Gentile, each and every one of us has that opportunity. Because Paul's point is, to the people back then, to us right now, it was, the belief, it was his belief in God that declared him righteous before God. Because so, you know, we know there's so many verses in the Bible where the Jewish people were, were so concerned about the law and keeping it up and what it truly meant. You know, and what Paul is saying is, this was four, Abraham was, four, was 400 some years before we ever got the law. But you know what? All he did was believe in God to that promise. And Peter, he references a promise this morning from God. And what Paul is telling us is, Abraham had faith. In the very beginning, Abraham had faith that the Lord would be true to his promise. You know, what Jesus is telling us this morning is, and what Paul is telling us this morning is, is that the words that we are given, that promise that we are given, if we put them, if we let them begin work inside of our lives, you know, Paul says that boldness and that confidence because Christ is faithful. He has given us a promise. But when we begin to experience that, when we begin to feel that working inside of our life, that's going to truly change us. And not only will it change us, we begin to feel, we begin to experience a fullness when others see and when it begins to affect others. You know, it's, it's almost like a, 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 a discipleship mentality when these things begin to work inside of us you know we want other people to experience them because they're so they were so important and they're so special to us they've given us that confidence they've given us that boldness so we want others to share in that also you know that's when we really begin to understand what the love of christ is about when it's we just don't keep it to ourselves we want others to to share within that joy as jesus says itself Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you. We thank you for the confidence that we can possess not only in your word, but in our relationship with you. We ask that you guide us, walk with us this week as we walk out into it. You know, and I ask that you 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 continue to show us, speak to us, lead us, and guide us. So not only that we can live life with that confidence, but we can that confidence can be expounded upon and lead to a fullness in each and every one of our walks. We thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. And we thank you for the opportunity to serve you with that promise. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.